Let's go. Master of all things tabletop. With the Paladins of Podcast. They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck, how to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest. Cool. Welcome back to Side Quest with your Paladins of Podcast, Rob and Eli. How are we doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Uh, I remember at Gen, the Gen Con weekend, you talked about that Brazilian barbecue, right? Where they, yeah. you could cook your meat yourself? Now, I believe that it was table service. So they would cook it uh, on a large grill and then they would bring their meats around on like a uh, cutting board or uh chichuri board and shave it for you and serve you. Oh, shaved at the table. Okay, because I I just went to one of the uh, like a, a Japanese barbecue place where you know they they bring you the food and you've got a little mm-hmm. like open fire in front of you and you cook food on it. Oof, it was real right. good. Kind of like a uh, like a small hibachi. Yeah, yeah, but th- this one wasn't like a like it wasn't like a flat top. Okay, there was actually like a. a fire an instrument of fire and then like a a grill on it so all the juices would drip down and um that's cool it was was really good that's cool grilled pineapple fabulous yes yes that's funny it's uh i love adding pineapple to a lot of my meats that i grill because the acidity in it helps tenderize the meats but if it sits in it for too long it makes it mushy because it chemically cooks the meat which is weird cool yeah. Yeah. That's that's like uh what is it? Like you can cook like seafood with like lemons and limes because of the acid in it. Mm-hmm. Cooking's crazy. Do you it ever is. do you ever play around with food in your like in the games that you run? Do you do you ever describe food? Um or like the I describe the I describe foods when in two uh in two or three different types of instances. One if it's really interesting or unique and not necessarily in the sense of um characteristics like this is a delicacy in this nation where you're eating spiked slugs but i will go in depth if it adds a lot of extra character for example in my pathfinder world of animar the city town of fence one of the chefs actually cooks a perpetual a perpetual stew that he just simply calls slop. So for the past hundred years or so, all he does is just add the next ingredients to the pot and continues to serve it. And my players are positive. He scrapes off leftovers from the plates and dumps them right back in. So he is literally serving perpetual food. Um, I will do it when it's something like that or like we had talked about recently with my goblin run um bar where after when goblins die they dump them down at the cellar below sweeney todd style turn them into meat pies and they're all eating goblin and they don't know it so those are two of the common instances uh the other time is when it's super delicate or fancy food because those are my two extremes that I generally play with. If they're not just adventuring, adventuring food is essentially adventuring food to them, but out of the ordinary or super fancy. Yeah. That's what I do. 
I try to, I try to like maybe out of the ordinary, but I, I try to use food as uh, a definitive way of showing the players they're in somewhere new or somewhere different. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, that's something that you would notice. You'd smell, yeah, you'd taste, you'd, you'd, you'd try something different. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, uh, you know, if they, if they go somewhere like really far, like they travel across the entire world, um, I'll even have them make constitution or some elements of, uh, of, of checks to be able to, you know, not everyone can take stomach spicy food or, sure. uh, you know, just to, just to, just to sprinkle that in some, some elements of, what happens when you do travel? Mm-hmm. Your body can't always take uh, take different foods. Right. I, I like that. I, th- I think it's interesting. I think the mechanical side of it is a little too... It's too much for how I like to run my tables, but I like the idea of it. Uh, I will say a lot of times before game, because we officially start rolling dice at six, but we all arrive at five, uh, we generally have some sort of potluck or some portion to yeah. eat food, etc. Like today, uh, well, not today, but our uh, podcast release episode day, Saturday, when our party comes over, we're going to have a taco bar to celebrate the birth of my baby uh, earlier this week. Baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we do, we, we incorporate food more often and at the table as a form of bonding between the group and I try not to grossly describe grotesque foods while while we're gaming those sessions. So, I uh, when when I was playing games in person, every once in a while we would do like a um, like a, a, a potluck. Like usually we do potluck mm-hmm. style, but um, usually once in the game, I uh, you know if if we were having a scene, you know, like they're they're meeting some count or merchant. Uh, and they're going to have a feast. Sometimes I'll like prepare those items, you know, I'll, you yep. know, pour them all wine, you know, like, especially if we're going into like a very narrow kind of very, very role play heavy session, mm-hmm. then I'll do that. Cause then like I can get the physicality of walking around the table and the servants serving the players as they're, yeah. um, and you know, my positioning in the table at the table will actually determine who I am that's speaking to them. Um, and kind of build that atmosphere. So. I, I like that. I I think that that is something that we start to miss a little bit when we look at playing online. And I know that while you do a lot of online gaming and I'm starting to step into that space uh, more frequently, it is something I generally miss. I like being able to be present and do things like that. The ability to move brings in theatrics and it brings in more than just your voice abilities or your storytelling abilities it lowers i'm going to say this poorly i think but it it really lowers the bar of entrance for immersion because you have more tools in your toolkit to use so you don't have to rely so heavily on a a lesser amount of those tools yeah yeah i think being in, in person is just generally Immersion is always easier in person. Yes. Yes, I I agree with that. And hopefully we'll be able to have somebody on our show in the next few weeks who, as he was talking to me about his immersion while I was at Gen Con, uh, was fucking phenomenal. I'm just going to flat out say that was incredible. I don't want to spill it in case uh, we get him on and he can talk about it more in depth. But 
the hope is he will definitely be able to do that. It's incredible. Um, yeah, food is definitely right up. There. I like trying new foods. Um, I sometimes incorporate if I have a new food idea, I might talk about that in game. I have been so spoiled. So I'm, I'm traveling for work and I'm in Toronto mm -hmm. and there, the area I'm in Toronto, it has a, a very high, uh, like Indian population. Yeah. Um, and there's this 20 and I'm working night shift. So there's this 24 hour Indian fast food place. Really? Right next to the warehouse. And it's phenomenal. I'm so Dude, used to doing awesome. these night shifts and like the food, like I have to order quick, right? Because the yeah. the place will like, I'll usually start my shift at 1130. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I already have to order food. Right. Um, but I looked it up. This is, And this place is so good. Like normally when I think fast food, I think of just like cheap, shitty burgers. Right. And these are like phenomenal like they've they've they're, they're still they're kind of like this weird mix of like indian kind of like canadian comfort food i guess so yeah, some indian. of them are still burgers or on buns but like put in a yeah. panini press and then full of just really flavorful curries and i dig ooh, that i've been i've been i've been eating good <laughs> i uh i know that if we are i mean like we're barely adjacent to stuff but this is still relevant uh in table topping <laughs> I just I mean, we eat on a tabletop, right? I, I just tried a place called uh, Sean's Philly Cheesesteak earlier today. It's local. They've been around for a little while, but it's closer to the big city than I am. And they do Philly cheesesteaks as egg rolls. What? As egg rolls? As egg rolls. So they put all their stuff in the egg roll wrapper and deep fry it. And I was hoping to get one today, but I shit you not, they were sold out. Oh, so what did you I end just, up getting? Uh, I went with a a modified Philly cheesesteak, and I love Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. Like that is like my jam. I thought about starting a food truck for Philly cheesesteaks. Actually, um, I forget what is it about Philly cheesesteaks? Isn't there like a big thing? Like, do you have it with? extra cheese on top or like isn't there like a, a controversy in the philly cheesesteak world yes so if you want a true philly cheesesteak it is literally your uh your steak and your meat choices depending on where you are so some places use like a slow roasted meat other people use just like quick sizzlers that you throw down but it's your meat onions and cheese whiz Cheese whiz, that's what cheese, it is. Cheese whiz. If you don't have actually used cheese whiz, it's technically not a Philly cheesesteak. Um, and I'll tell you, there's something about cheese whiz that gives it a funny taste, but it works. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it, it's not bad. Uh, I like to modify mine a little bit more with peppers, like bell peppers, onions, and uh, some mayo. Other than that, I'll saute my peppers, onions. Sometimes I'll add mushrooms, but see, at this point, I'm not I'm not doing Philly cheesesteaks anymore. <laughs> so, um, damn, I want another one. <laughs> we talked about them. But yeah, again, those are those are kind of things. And uh, actually, to tie this right hardcore into because they're tabletop discussions, I remember we brought up the the uh, social contract I talked about which by the way is still doing really exceptionally well on drive through RPG. So I, I appreciate that, but people are always interested in it. 
Yeah. And in there, it actually talks about how at a physical table, I'm okay with people bringing small snacks and stuff at a seven course meal at the table is a little difficult because space is not allowing for a seven course meal. Um, I will say any large item like a huge Philly cheesesteak or the two Qdoba burritos that I brought one day to game. It's a, even that one item takes up a whole lot, but you start adding things like bags of food, burgers, fries, drinks, and then I ask people to put them on coasters and then they got all their stuff. Dude, you need a second table just for half of the stuff people bring for food. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's why I'm planning on, you know, having an entire mother-in-law suite for gaming. That's yeah. my, the dream house, have an enormous house for gaming and then a little shed for sleeping in. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's perfect. Now, in your mother-in-law suite, your your gaming facility, I think you should have a <laughs> dedicated uh, counter space for people so they can set up their food, like a little bar or buffet uh, on your potluck days. They can keep it off the table and they just have their plate. So, ooh, you know, actually, if we're going full gaming facility, you know, we probably won't have an eating area. We'll just have IVs. So oh, you God. just you know you, we don't need to waste time eating. We just got to right? game, game, game. Oh God! That, you know what? <clears throat> Instead of because IVs, you got to have like the needle into the arm. However, if you just have a blender, a few tubes, and a high pump suction, you can feed everybody via tubes and blend it all. So, by the way, a blended grilled cheese tastes disgusting. Ew, that does sound that does sound really gross. It is. But when you're curious, you're curious, right? I mean, like, what did you like what did you blend it with? Like what was your like don't you need some sort of liquid to tomato soup? Oh, okay. So potato yeah. soup is still kind of thick. It ended up really chunky and you can water it down with a little bit of milk and water and uh the, milk. Yeah, you can add milk to your tomato soup. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever done that. You get get tomato soup and out of a can, and it says that you can make it with water or milk. I mean, I may. I, I also am a I'm a strong milk. Uh, I love milk, but I'm a strong soup hater. So that's oh. probably why Dude, I, I I've never read a soup container. Dude, I love soup. Like it's great if you're thirsty or hungry. It does it both. Drink some water. Eat or something eat some solid. That's fair. That is fair. So after after our food tirade here, which I absolutely love, uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit. I'm hoping to get some ideas out of you. Well, pump me dry. All, 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 <laughs> all jokes aside. All right. So I know that we've talked before about horror games kind of not being your specialty. They're you like the idea of them, you like the jam, but something about them is a little difficult for you to pull off. Yeah. So I started writing a horror game that I want to rival the Curse of Strahd. Like I want oh. I want this game to be the almost like 2023 or 2024 definitive horror game for 5e. Is is the Curse of Strahd a horror game though? Ravenloft itself is sort of a horror setting and you're going up against a vampire. So I, I feel like it's a grim setting, but I don't know if I'd call it a horror. Like it, it there's like horror. 
and it's a dark setting, but I, I feel like the crux of the adventure is not a horror. No, I, I would have to agree with that, uh, especially if you're considering something like the Alien RPG, which is specifically designed to be horror versus Ravenloft setting or the Curse of Strahd. Uh, so Curse of Strahd, yeah, lightly a horror style game, but not not waist deep in the genre. I will agree. Um, this I still I want to rival both popularity. I want to rival in setting. I want to rival in uh, tone and I want to really seed it into a position of uh, essentially absolute terror, which is hard to do with tabletop games because you're playing with a community of people that have nothing to interact with but each other. So you have yeah. to have a certain amount of buy in. With that said, and because you have that sort of, um, I don't know how I want to word that to ask that question. So I guess to ask the uh, the point, what would you need to see in a horror based game to really invest or feel like it is delivering? Um. I think you need to have advice on how to run a horror game, especially if you're running a horror game in a in a system that isn't a horror system, right? Because mm -hmm. running Alien RPG, they they give you advice on how to build the setting, like build suspense. <laughs> Basically, they I mean it's a horror game, so they mm -hmm. tell you how to build horror, and if you're doing it in pathfinder and 5e i feel like there should be some uh, like tips and tricks on how to build the atmosphere and enforce it um definitely a call out to like a session zero and yep. lines and veils because like especially with horror you have to be very careful about you know, you know what horrors you can actually touch on because there's a very fine line between like making sure you're like your your characters are are afraid and not making your actual players afraid or terrified. Um, I, I agree with that. I, I think that that mention of session zero is super important. It's something I also did with my uh, evil Pathfinder game that I, I run digitally on Fridays. And that one's there because an evil game is already an unusual power dynamic. So you have to do things that aren't considered socially normative. Uh, you may have to be okay with playing in a situation where things like drug use, overdose, uh, excuse me, um, overuse of drugs, addiction, et cetera, overdosing is common or torture or trafficking of individuals. <clears throat> um, so applying that same mentality to a horror game is, is super important. The, Advice on how to run is something I didn't consider because I consider this like as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, let's let's kind of look at it like a video game. We'll kind of walk them through the pieces, but they'll apply it as they should for their table. But I think you're right. Giving them how to do it, how to set it up to deliver that would really, uh, really help sell that. And so, are, are you going to be is this a 5e or a Pathfinder or what do you? This adventure itself will be for 5e. It'll be for my fifth edition world for of Etheria. So <clears throat> it actually takes place in the Sombroska Mountains, which is to the east of Ancaris and Cantargos. Oh, so, yeah. 
Sweet. I went on vacation to Contardos. Beautiful nice. beaches. Um, yes. Another thing is that, like, those systems don't really have, like, in Call of Cthulhu, you have stress. Mm -hmm. um, and your characters can have mental breaks and um, kind of, like, fall apart. I think you might want to introduce almost a mini system that involves that. Sense. And I personally really like uh, systems where, like, your character, like, if, like, there is a point in which your character, you're just like, you know what, like, you are broken, you can know, like, your character now must retire, or, like, you know, you've gone fully crazy, you can mm -hmm. no longer interact with the world, bring in a new character. But what I also like is when those elements, like, as you're going crazier and crazier, like, you also gain benefits. Like, mm -hmm. sure, you're completely batshit crazy, but now you have, like, bonuses against fear or, like, essentially a battle rage. I don't know how you want to do it, but I think that that would have a fine line where where players almost, like, as a, from a player's perspective, you want to go a little crazy, right? You want to be interacting with those horror elements so that you can also, like kind of push the envelope, you power up your character a little bit, embrace mm -hmm. the craziness, but then you're also walking that fine line because if you take if you take one too many steps in that crazy direction, boom, your character is blown up, right? Sorry. Yep. You can't play Thorax the Mage anymore. Uh, move on. Um, <laughs> but then you yeah. also like... So I would suggest something like that. Um, look into how they do stress uh, for Call of Cthulhu. Um, maybe even introduce a different, like a whole different stat that this adventure uses. Uh, so. And you, uh, if I remember correctly, you really like it when an adventure adds more like that, right? Like yeah. if, if you're buying something, it should add more to the game, whether it be class options, uh, racial options, or just player options should be increased um with everything new and you can choose to or, use them later not just even player okay. options but like game master options okay like if if i'm if i'm picking up a a a like a a trapped dungeon and every single trap i could just look up in the dungeon master's guide i'm like okay whatever true not interested so like Give me some new traps. Give me some new monster archetypes. Give give me something that. Give me something. Right, something uh a little bit. So okay, yeah I. Excuse me, I like that, and I agree. And it's funny because in my most recent adventure that we wrote, the Lost Libraries of Tambaria, I actually built an entire class, which was enjoyable. It was fun and difficult, but. I kept thinking about the conversation we had, like Eli says, add something. So I thought a new class was a good way to start. Adding a new mechanic um, feels a little bit more challenging, but I think that'd work. And it, it would definitely push um, my adventure solidly into the horror. Uh, and I like that because of the theme I want to go for. But I don't know if I want to push it hard enough to become uh, the same sort of eldritch horror that you would get in Cthulhu. That's I mean, you don't need Eldritch Horror to still have people have, you know, mental breaks or fear the sure. shadows. That's um, true. 
Yeah, and I, I I worry that if you don't add something, some system to it, like because you you want, or at least in my opinion, you want the mechanics of the system to also reinforce your setting, and you want the setting to to reinforce the system. Yep. Um, and I, I think that's the difficulty in playing a fantasy system that really doesn't touch on horror uh, mm-hmm. and using it for a horror game. Right. And there are so many other systems out there that will do what you want to do better versus shoehorning something in. So uh, it comes down to this fits into my world and I want a different flavor. So I have to I, I got to do some sort of modifying, but it can't be off putting for 5e players who want to experience something similar. So, so it, I mean, I guess you have since this is going to be a pre canned module, right? Mm-hmm. I would. For your session zero, I would put in like a document that says, here is what this adventure contains that could be veils and lines or like what could set off people. Here's what it is. Because with a pre-canned, you kind of just want to be like, here's how I made it. You should use it as it's made. So either accept these things. That's not a bad idea. I know that one of the things I absolutely put into this was uh, specifically that the section in the book is called establishing a compelling buy-in because they have to have some form of buy-in. They have to agree on something so it just doesn't disrupt the flow. And that is one of the most important things with buy-in. You all have to sort of agree that you're going to buy into this. Um, You can't just hassle the dm about it constantly because that's going to break it no matter what game you're playing no matter what style you're playing one player who's going to hassle something will break immersion for everybody are are you going to put any restrictions on like classes races anything that people can play for this adventure module i no not for this one uh, but what I'm thinking about doing is changing the way spells work as we just kind of covered changing something. Oh. And I know that I'll give a, I don't know if I want to give away a little bit. Like I'd love to talk about one of the no, talk about it. This is where we tease the the mechanics of it. And if people are is. interested, if they like it, they'll buy the module. Right. But I want to have it written and released before I tease it. Only because what I want to do is those kind of things that when people hear it, they're like, shit, yeah, let's do it. And I don't want somebody to hit the market with it first. Um, <laughs> and All it's, right. it, it's fun. And I'll, I'll tell you about it outside of uh, our recording studio. But that's part of the reason that I want to play this particularly uh, horse style. So that's not like horse but have, have you been playing any that. like have you played any horror games recently have you been playing any call of cthulhu or i uh, recently i uh, recently played no however i have recently picked up delta green Ooh. so yeah i picked up the slip cover the two nice books inside and uh, i've been loving the module the um model the game model and the information that's presented so. Now, did you did you pick up? I know there's two different versions of Delta Green. There's Delta Green where basically everything is D6 based, or there's the Delta Green that's more Call of Cthulhu D100 uh, style. I believe mine's D6. It's the newer edition. Cool. Yeah. So that that's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Don says, I don't have anybody to run it for me, so I got to either figure out how to run it uh, seamlessly and run it for my players and enjoy it serendipitously through them. Or You should join a Call of Cthulhu Delta Green Discord. I'm sure there's someone who'd run a run a one shot or a couple sessions and that's not bad i got some uh, i got some credit on startplaying.games which is where i host my idea my paid games uh i got some credit i could probably find somebody to do a one shot there wouldn't be so bad. i mean if you do it i mean there there i know there's loads of people out there that'll just run games if you just join a discord without even paying so um, i don't I don't mind that, but I got credit I can't use either way unless I join one of the games. And, uh, okay. Uh, I used to be of a, a very solid and strong opinion of uh, I wouldn't usually charge for games, but I figured after this long and how everybody that I have at my table uh, really appreciates my gaming style and those who uh, have not been at my table for a long time but are still waiting for me to have spaces open – this gives them an opportunity and if i'm going to go outside of my normal schedule uh i'm going to get i was like you know screw it i'm gonna get paid for it like i'm going to invest the time for these people outside of what i would normally do i'm going above my set schedule for gaming and i'm i'd like to be compensated for that that's fair you know a a paid game of that would be nice because i mean with the with the expectation of paid there's usually a little bit of you know like they know what they're doing Yep. Um, especially if you're playing virtual, they might have, I mean, virtual tricks and tips for building a horror game and making it feel horror. Those would probably easily translate to uh, to in-person gaming as well. I'm sure it does, and I'm sure that it, I'm sure that it would. Um, I might even ask somebody who specializes in something like uh, horror-based games, like, "Hey, just want to have a communication real quick. What do you do to make sure that immersion really pops?" I'm trying to get some groundwork done on a horror-based 5e adventure i'm writing that's not a bad idea so however uh talking about new mechanics i would also like to talk to you about infinium my custom rule set system i've been developing oh I've got, how's that going well i feel like i've made absolute leaps and bounds since i started from the ground up again so I have redefined my thematic settings. What's your thematic, uh, your new thematic setting? You're not I setting am, it in your, your world? No. Anymore? Nope. Uh, Infinium is going to, the first theme for Infinium will be based off of the idea that I had for the dark noir detective agency. So things that go bump in the night, semi-modern um, setting. And the reason I went that route is because I've wanted to play something that is not Middle Earth style fantasy. And I love the pulpy feel of noir detective books. You know, that hard nosed detective, the hard boiled writing style. Uh, I, I like that. And I wanted to develop that for the Infinium system. But trying to write the toolkit neutral was difficult. And then trying to write it with fantasy in mind and then justifying a way to scale it back for something else seemed ridiculous. Yeah. So this seemed like a plausible direction for me to start so I could scale the Infinium system up for higher fantasy 
and give me a base ground for keeping things about similar power levels. Okay. Um, so that was fun. And I have really defined like skill usage. I know that I had talked to you about, I want skills that untrained, you can use any ability. And as you train them, you sort of lock them into an ability. I've defined how that works and I've defined the skill, the trained and the mastery. Uh, I've defined how you get, um, how you earn those with what are called gloom marks for this particular game. And it's a semi-classless system. And the reason okay. I say the reason I say semi-classless is because you pick what is considered a background. Those backgrounds give you your initial gloom marks and they give you certain benefits. But from there, everything is purchasable by gloom marks. So you okay. buy your your training on your skills. Uh, if, instead of feats, I have things that are called enigmas that work similar to feats. And you don't gain experience, but you just gain additional gloom marks to continue buying your character uh, piece by piece. So, so it's, a, it's a little bit of a um, like more of a build point setting or like a build point uh, build point game. And right now I have it so you get 27, uh, essentially you get 27 build points is what they're called to build out your ability scores. Yep. However, I'm thinking about combining that 27 with the backgrounds, initial gloom marks, and that will be your total pool for all your points, your ability scores, your feats, etc. So that way your character creation will be wrapped up into a single value that you can split up amongst your um, skills, enigmas, ability scores, the whole deal, contacts, all of the necessary information. What game would you say it is similar or inspired by? I don't know about similar to because it feels radically different. And I've pulled from a lot of different references. The idea of feats from Pathfinder, D&D, or benefits from Savage Worlds, and the ability scores uh, similar, again, to things like Fate, D&D, &D, uh, your same idea with skills. <clears throat> the amalgamation of a D6 system advanced with dice pool systems is kind of where I got the idea. And then I figured how I w wanted them to work with these certain mechanics that came from other games. Like the things I really liked from certain games, I figured out how to work them into the dice, the modified dice pool system. When are you going to have a quick start or are you going to make any blog posts about uh, what makes Infinium boom? I'd like to have a, blog post out and i'd like to have a quick start out hopefully by uh the end of october okay so it might end up being if i feel super inspired to write a whole bunch more i'll be way ahead of schedule which happens to me quite a bit but it is the premise that i'm build, building off of that hard hard noir detective agent you are just going up against what goes bump in the night and that is 
the world kind of like a modern harry dresden style game but we already have a dresden series um i haven't as much as i love the dresden files i haven't looked into the system as much as i want to just yet but i know the flair of the original media i'm saying maybe i can do the world better so that's always the hope right set my expectations high hope i meet them yeah yeah see if you can do better yeah yeah take what someone else has and improve on it and build on it that's you know use use the shoulders of giants if you have them available absolutely absolutely and that's uh that's one of those things just kind of exciting i decided to take on a whole uh a whole host of projects right now and it it's kind of concerning when i'm looking at some of them because uh like i I mentioned earlier I, i told Dave Scott of Evil Genius Games that I would write a compatible everyday heroes adventure. And yeah. I can't I can't fall back on Middle Earth fantasy in the middle of an everyday heroes thing. Like throwing a dragon in there for the middle of it, for the hell of it, you can do in a fantasy adventure. There's no dragons. So I can't just do that. It's got to be rooted in something more realistic. And it has all of the makings for something great, but I just got to figure out a compelling story. What, uh, you do anything to inspire you? Are you reading any fiction or watching stranger things? No, but I am watching old news media from the Los Angeles riots, gang wars, and the era of Rodney King. Hmm. So there's a lot of potential for compelling story in that aspect. So I'd probably stay away from racial tensions. That's stripping very... the racial stripping the racial tensions out is uh paramount. But the um events that transpired from a lot of those things like police brutality or uh Turf wars, for example, don't have to be tied to anything particular or influx of violent activities. So that's kind of what I'm inspired by is to build a story based on a hard city that's just kind of going to shit and overrun by the potential of gang threat. And then hopefully modify it further. Does Everyday Heroes have like... Have you checked out their monster ma- monster manual, quote unquote, or their bestiary? That that might be a good source of inspiration uh, for uh, for villains, monsters, or challenges. So their their core rulebook has a small section of that, and they're rather uh, I don't want to say limited because limited is a wrong word. It's surface shallow, surface no. deep. It's tonally correct for their system setting. Okay. So, I mean, they're not superheroes and they're not in Middle Earth style fantasy. So as much as it, it's, it's like you have hackers, brawlers, brutes, martial artists, um, kind of like your mm, Luke Cage or Jessica Jones style heroes. 
the Punisher uh, to give you other things. So they're they're bad guys. They're in in a very similar realm, and I'm sure that based on the Crow adventure, you could find ways to pull in something more fantastical or magical. But their pre-done adventures are things like Total Recall. They have something a little. Uh, out there with the world they've got pacific rim so you have kaiju monster or big paddle ships uh rambo i think is coming out later this year um hunger games you could you could go with hunger Games style that's not a bad idea um it's just really figuring out what i want the flair to be and that's like i got i got like the basic down like the introduction, because that's not flair related. Now I'm like, shit, where am I going with the story? So it's out there. I don't know. How are uh, how are you coming along? Last I knew you were you were writing something. And I think yep. we talked about it briefly. How's that? Um, going? There hasn't been a huge amount of progress. Um, I've been very busy with work, um, which I've kind of got a whole sheaf of notes scattered between my, my work laptop and uh, my personal computer and the mm-hmm. notebook that I brought. So um, I've also been a little sidelined because in two weeks uh, I've got my personal, my, like my, my home group for Hackmasters getting together for a weekend um, and we're going to do a bunch of gaming. So I have to make sure to dot the I's and cross the T's Um got a bunch of like the 3d 3d printed and painted terrain that i need to make sure i have you know the the right number the right amount and that i have the layouts right Mm -hmm. um this will be my first time using some actual like 3d uh like 3d terrain for for D. &D. nice Um, usually i just have like a a battle map and i i draw on it and I'll, i'll probably still have that but um i haven't done a lot of that put together stuff that's fair that's fair i'll say just for a quick uh i guess shout out here uh lock gaming l-o-c-k-e i believe loke uh they have kind of like window cling material of spell effects and buildings that they can just lay down on final mats and they peel right up Mm -hmm. freaking awesome if you need something quick because i like to use both the combination of 3d printed material and flat battle mat that people like toss down a spell you just flop down this window cling and it's good yeah Um, so those are those are phenomenal may help out in the future i'll have to i'll have to scope out what they got maybe they've got something useful yeah Um, yeah they got excited when i get back home i've got all those all that stuff to to put us put up put together and next week i'll be working from home but also weird hours so you know, while I'm on the call with the customer, he'll be building together all these dungeons and putting together painting miniatures. So That's I'm cool. excited. That's great. I know that uh, the end of next week, I've got a meeting with my surgeon about my hand to see if he will release me back to work. So your hand looks like I mean, seems like it's back to new, back to good as, good as new as normal as possible. Yeah. Uh, I got about 80% functionality from what it was from the initial injury. So uh, losing about 20% is not horrible. It's more of an assist hand than fine detail. I know people can't yeah. see it, 
That's a 20% you wouldn't use anyway. Well, I mean, truthfully, we got to game at the convention, and you probably couldn't really tell it was super screwed up because I don't do too much with it. So, yeah, it's not horrible. I mean, what? We humans only use 10% of our brains, right? So, no, that's a lot. Slop off 90%. No, no. We're going from mutilated hands to just just jelly donut (laughs) people now. I mean, lobotomies were perfectly healthy, right? Yeah, if you know what, with your IV lobotomies and your IV system for the gaming groups, uh, we're just going to be <laughs> zoned in a hundred percent of the time now. Sorry, your character went crazy. I got to give you a lobotomy. Oh, dude, I like that mad doctor. I like that. Writing that down in the notes, bro. Sweet. Why is this mad doctor named Eli? <laughs> Do you mind? <laughs> sure, if you want. <laughs> Maybe. It, it is a name that inspires horror. You know what? I just, I just might. I'll take a screenshot if it never changes. So you will be immortalized. It'll be fun. Perfect. Now, <clears throat> uh, we're about rounding, excuse me, rounding up our time here. Is there anything you want to kind of finish out with? Try new food. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys try new food or figure out new ways to put food into your games or campaigns, reach out and let us know. I mean, we'd love to hear either uh, how you guys might do potlucks, food rules at your table, or how you introduce new descriptions of foods. I mean, are you simple like I am? Like, hey, it's a spiked slug? Or do you do what Eli does and pass wine out at the table? Let us know. (laughs) Otherwise, reach out to us on Facebook or EpicTableGames.com. And we'll see you next week on SideQuest. Adios. New intro. We've changed the name. And we're still using the word paladin. Paladin. I mean, it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay.